We're in the age of social media. And uh, us older folks are, are sticking with Facebook most of the time uh, if we're on social media. But they got now X, and they have uh, Instagram, and they have TikTok. You know, and and uh, according to a, re, uh, a research, Dunbar research, it says that we as people, as human beings, can have 150, maybe 200 in our circle that we can manage, you know, 150, 200. But guess what the number is for close friends? Anybody want to make a guess? Two, one, zero. One, the, the research says five. So you may have a lot of people in your outer circle that you're connected with or they're connected with you, but really you can develop close relationships with five. That's what the research says. Some great things happen in small groups. When I was in college, I co-led a small group, uh, and, and we were a small group of about eight. And one person in our small group was a handicap, Helen. And she was in a wheelchair bound. And we as a small group, and, 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 and we as a small group decided that we would not do anything as a small group on campus or off campus without Helen. And at first she resisted us. And then we just had to say, oh, just be quiet and, and, and we're going to put you in a wheelchair and you're going with us. We're going to the concert today, uh, tonight. And, and what we didn't realize were the obstacles we had to face. Because this was before they had handicap accessibility, right? So she didn't have a car that we could stick on our, our tag, we could stick on our car and park close to the off-campus venues. That didn't happen. So, so if we, we, and as college students, we never did anything on time. We were always like rushing to get there. So we always had to park far most of the time and we had to wheel her where we, we were going. And then when we went to some places, I remember the place in Princeton, it was called the Nassau Christian Center, and they had a coffee house. And you had to go down the stairs. And when we got there, we looked. We looked at her, and she said, oh, no. We said, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and one person was, was uh, behind her, this was me, and, uh, and Chuck was in front, and we would carry her down the stairs. And you hear all the noise, like, oh, oh, oops, be careful, oops, uh-oh, oops, you know. And she was like, she just closed her eyes and just went down the stairs. Going down, going up was okay. Going down was the scary part. That was scary for going down. And, of course, very few places had elevators. Sometimes the doors weren't, were too narrow. And so we had to pick her up and close the uh, wheelchair, get it through, carry her through the through, and then put her back on the wheelchair. We were an odd group to look at. I'm sure we were an odd group to look at. We were, it was just uh, so unusual, I think, to see, a, to see a group of college students who were so committed to their friend, to their friend. And, and, and whatever people thought, we were certain that people knew that we loved Helen and she loved us. And, and she trusted us with carrying her and making sure that she got to the places that she could experience all that was part of the small group. Not just the Bible study, but the fellowship, the missions we did together, 
and the community that we built as a small group and the worship. God does good things. Good things happen in small group. And I believe that this small group of five, four, five really, and those four men who carried their friend, their paralyzed friend, and they wanted this person to meet this healer called Jesus. And they and, and think of the obstacles that they had to face. Way more. This is 2,000 years ago. So it was probably way more than we could ever imagine as Kaaba students. And I can think, in my mind, I, sometimes when I read the Bible, I try to like, imagine what's happening there. It's not in the text, but I kind of imagine it. And I think that they carried him many places, not just to where Jesus was. I think that this was a, a, a regular thing that they did. Let's go to the market, and they carried him. Let's go to temple worship, they carried him. Let's go to, to so-and-so was having a bar mitzvah, they carried him. He was a part of their life, and they were committed to him. And I can imagine they probably made a special match just for him, that on all four corners, it was like a, a, a rope or something that they could hold on to, that make it easier to navigate. You know, I can see that happening. And they said, we need to get our friend to this healer that we heard about called Jesus. But it was just crowded, crowded. And so how are we going to do this? And so they, 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 they said, hey, let's go to the roof. So they went to the roof, made a hole, and carried him down. Now, I'm sure that the person that owned the house wasn't happy, okay? <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't happy. I'm sure that he was like, okay, I see, your, I see that you really love your friend. And, and, and probably even after Jesus healed him, when everybody was going home, he said, wait a minute. Who's going to fix that roof? <laughs> all right? The commitment goes all the way. So you guys made it, you guys fix it. Okay, I'm happy your friend got healed, but you're going to fix my roof, you know? And, and what Jesus does is that he looks at their faith, and Jesus responds to faith, doesn't he? He looks at their faith, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. We, as we are um, looking to the passage, it starts out, it says Christ was in the house, probably uh, the, fr- the friend's house, wherever he was at home. And he was in the house, and, and he was preaching the message, God's message to the people. What is God's message? In chapter 1, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is close. The kingdom of God is right in front of you. The kingdom of God is here. What is the message? God is love. God loves you. God loves us. And in chapter 2, he adds to that message. God forgives sin. God is love. God loves you. God loves us. God forgives our sins. Isn't that a great message? Oh, my God, that's a great message. And so, and so we see this happening, and then immediately in the passage, we hear about the teachers of the law. Now, because we've been in church all our lives, or most of our time, and we did Sunday school, we know what the teachers of the law are about. But this is just chapter two. So we got to give them, you know, some, some slack here. All right? And, and, and they were people who knew the law, and they followed the law of Moses, and they said, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Time out, Jesus. Your sins are forgiven? Time out. You can't do that. You know, they understood that sin was serious and shouldn't be taken lightly. They understood that sin does something to you, to us. It makes us unworthy. It puts a stain on us. And, they, and according to the law, you have to do something to get this sin off of you. You've got to confess to the priest. You've you got to do a sacrifice. You, you have to at least admit it and ask for it. This man didn't even ask to be forgiven. Who do you think you are? God? Only God can forgive sins like this with no strings attached. And what I love what Jesus does, he doesn't argue with them. He asks them a question. He said, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven to a paralyzed person to get up a walk. What's easier to say? Remember, this is 2,000 years ago. They didn't have modern medicine. You know, they didn't have the whole thing. They didn't have the, the TV series, The Bionic Man, Bionic Woman. They didn't have that. Okay, so, so what's easier to say? Both are hard. Both are difficult. If, if this paralyzed man was truly to walk, who was going to do this? God. If this paralyzed man was truly going to be forgiven, who was going to give that forgiveness? God. So Jesus is saying to them, answer that question, what's easier to say, and then you'll know who I am. But one thing you will know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We can forgive sins. And then he does the impossible. He says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And as the man walked, his sins are forgiven. He did both. And the people marveled, who is this? Who is this person? And that is what Mark is about. When I look at Mark, one of the themes of Mark is who is Jesus? That's what, it's the elephant in the room, okay? Who is this person? Who can forgive sins that only God can do? Without any, any, you can't do anything. You don't have to confess well, you have to confess. You don't have to confess to a priest, okay? You don't have to, to work and do something. He just offers it. Who can do that but God? They forgive sins in that way. Only God can forgive sins with no strings attached. Who can heal without even asking? Only God. So as you go into Mark, and I hope you, you can just encourage you to read Mark again, and to see the question, who is this person? So what is the um, application? One is, how do we, okay, so, so, so who is Jesus? Who is God? The teacher of the law, the crowds, the people he healed, the disciples, the political officials, as we read Mark, we are confronted with the question about Jesus' life, teachings, miracles, death, and resurrection. What does that lead us to? So it's easier to say to the paralyzed person, get up and walk, to say your sins are forgiven. What's easiest? Answer that question, you'll know who Jesus is. So what's the application? When I was in college, my way of evangelism uh, was the Oprah Winfrey way, you know, you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to be a Christian, and you go, and I just walked around like I everybody saved, you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. And as I matured in my faith, um, now I ask questions. 
to people. I try to do a G, the model Jesus. And I ask people questions to get them thinking and to help them on their journey towards God. And then to lead them to faith in that way. And I find as I do that, I build relationships and friendships with people. It's a friendship evangelism. Not, not I got you, I got you, boom, 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 boom. Okay, now I can do that if I need to, okay? All right, yeah, I, 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 I can do it. But I find that in friendships, people are coming to know Christ and, and, it's, and it's developing a good um, the relationship with God and with me. The second thing is, uh, talking about my friend Helen, she passed away. We found out when she passed away, and another friend of mine who was wheelchair bound, they do not uh, exercise as much as they can, especially back then. There might be other things now that they can do. And so the hearts are very weak, and she died. And uh, we got the call from one of the small group leaders that kept in touch with her throughout the years. And we, about four of us from the small group, four or five, went to her funeral. And when we were there, uh, it was such a beautiful funeral, you know, and a time of rejoicing. And we, we met her mother for the first time. We introduced herself, and she said, oh, you're the college friend she talked about. You're the people that believed in her and didn't look at her as a handicapped person. I want you to go to this wall over here and see all the things that she accomplished, the pictures. She, she, she parachuted out of, out of airplanes. She started uh, support groups for handicapped people. She did so much. There was a pictures of pictures of pictures. And she always said it started with her small group. Great things, good things happen in small groups. Good things happen in small groups. And it was a time of rejoicing and remembering and celebrating her life. The last thing I'm going to leave you with is, are you in a small group? Are you in a place where you can connect with people uh, within your church or within uh, the community? Are you in a place where you can uh, fellowship, where you can worship, where you can do missions together, you know, in the community and outside? And what is a small group? It doesn't have to be something grandiose. It's just what? How many people we said? Up to five. That's all. See, if we were trying to do a big thing, it might seem overwhelming. But do you have five people, three, two, when two or more gather, up to five, that you come together on a regular basis, maybe monthly, maybe twice a month, maybe weekly, and you can share and pray and read scripture together? It can be uh, with Mary, right? Mary, at the food food. Uh, pantry, the food bank. I was amazed by that. It's, it's like a mini hillside food bank, you know, community food bank. Everything. But maybe she needs some help. And maybe once in a while, a small group of you can come and help her to organize and help her to, or just pray, you know, for the people and pray for things. And that can be established here. Just don't forget about the children. Sunday school is a small group and can be a small group as we encourage our young people to grow in faith and, and get them to be involved in, in, on Sunday, and maybe they, do, maybe they do some kind of a help in the community and with, and with the elderly in the community. There might be a place where they can be a help. It could also be with Pastor John. I know that you do a Bible study. I was there. Is that every week? Every week. One o'clock. 
you know. Uh, when I, I couldn't go to the Bible study, but I did bring the, uh, my, my lunch home, and I was thankful. And they eat, and they have uh, go through scriptures together. And maybe that might be it. Maybe you might start twice a month. The, the, the first and the third of the month, I will be there. And then it, and gradually it becomes something that's, that's, that's uh, every week you make a commitment. Commit yourselves to a small group. Commit yourself to being involved with one another. Commit in, in a way that is um, nurturing, in a way that, that, that is worshipful, in a way that builds community, and the way that shows a witness outside. It takes faith. It takes faith to be involved in Christian community. You know, it takes faith. It takes faith to week after week go to the fruit pantry and minister to what, 2,000 folks a week, as you said? A month, 2,000 a month. It takes faith to be there and, 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 and to believe that God will have what those people need. And to do that in a small group, that will be great, great. It takes faith to meet in scripture in a Bible study and say, I'm going to make this a priority because it will not only just enrich my life, but the life of the community, the small group, and the church as a whole. It takes faith to be a Sunday school teacher and knowing that the things you're going to teach to these young people will affect their lives forever into eternity. It takes faith. And Jesus responds to what? Faith. Is it easier to say, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven? He can do both and everything. Amen? Amen.